Welcome to the show. Here we are Wednesday, June the 3rd. And as expected, Premier Doug Ford extended the province's state of emergency yesterday till the end of the month. And a lot of people, although they understand it, kind of bummed out by the fact. We all kind of want to know how we're going to get out of this. What does the end game look like? Two months ago, Amir Adaran, who is a professor of public health at the University of Ottawa, wrote a piece for McLean's asking that question. What does the COVID-19 endgame look like? As a scientist, he also ordered, uh, offered what is effectively a roadmap for returning to normalcy. And over the weekend, I noticed a new piece in McLean's, how Canada has bungled the COVID-19 endgame, funnily enough, by Amir Adaran, who joins the show right now. Welcome to the program. Good morning, Kelly. So two months ago, you wrote a piece asking what the end game looks like. Uh, now here we are. You're saying we've bungled the end game. What What was your original roadmap for returning to normalcy? Well, it's a roadmap that pretty much any scientist uh, has. We all we all tend to think the same on this. The first thing you need to do is get the epidemic down, very very far down. And once you've done that, and there are very few cases appearing every day, right now we're getting about 400 cases a day in Ontario alone, you need to get down to close to single digits. At that point, you can begin to open up again and do so fairly confident that as new cases emerge, because it's just a handful, because it's just single or maybe low double digits, you'll be able to trace the contacts of those infected persons, isolate them, test them, and prevent those small outbreaks growing large. But for this to work, you have to first get to the point of having very low transmission. You can't begin opening when you've got high transmission, when you've got hundreds of cases a day, because anyone who's infected will go on to infect others, and that's so many people you can't possibly trace them all and isolate them all you'll just never be able to catch up and then the epidemic will go on and on and on and that's what we're seeing in canada right now so you say four things must change what are those can you run through them for us (laughs) if only i could remember them myself Uh, look the very most important thing that must change is this we in canada have a quote-unquote, curve that has never really bent. You know, the expression, bend the curve. That means take the number of cases that are occurring every single day and bring them lower and lower and lower. lower. Make that curve aim downward until it pretty much snuffs out. We've never done this. And so what's happened instead is we have quote, flattened the curve, but we've never bent it downward. We're, we're constantly in a position of, in this province, having about 400 cases a day, every day, and it just doesn't end. That's the wrong but- thing to do. You have to bend the curve down 300, 200, 100, 10, 5. You have to get it to that sort of figure. So what's the difference between... Ontario and Canada with bending the curve and other places where they're successfully able to do that. Is it the type of people we are? Because presumably it's not, you know, the, the theory, in theory, it makes a lot of sense. But it's not that simple when you're working with people who are emotional animals and they could be standing in their own way. 
You know, I don't I don't buy that, Kelly. Um, other countries have people who are emotional animals, too. That's just a description of human beings and human beings elsewhere have done far better than we have in Canada. We have failed. And let me give you an example. Another large country, a federal country like our own that has a federal government and provinces, except they call them states, is Australia. Australia has been hit with COVID. And in fact, in mid-March, Australia had even more cases per capita than Canada did. They were further along the track of disease in mid-March than we were. But they grabbed the bull by the horns. They bent their curve hard down. And right now, there's almost no COVID left in Australia. We closed the border to be an Mm -hmm. island like them. And we could have done the same thing, but we dithered. We failed. We never bent the curve down. And here is the difference. So far, we have had over 7,000 deaths in Canada. Australia has had barely 100 deaths. 7,000 deaths versus 100 deaths. Our death toll is 70 times higher. How can anyone possibly call that a success? So does the failure lie with government messaging? To a very great extent, yes. Um, And the people in charge who are doing the messaging are some of the the least qualified or talented people I've come across in public health. Um, To give you an example, Dr. Tam, Teresa Tam, just bungled her message on masks so badly. If you recall, once she Mm -hmm. said, Canadians shouldn't wear masks, there was no evidence they would do good. That was complete nonsense. Oh, I recall it fully because I believe I, I, you know, at the time I'm following what public health is saying and I it went went at it back and forth with a, a listener who said, no, that's just absolutely hogwash. And I said, well, that's what public health is saying. And I had to walk that back. And I thought, well, geez, I'm trying to do the responsible thing here. I would really like to be told the message that is real, honest and transparent. And if this is about the fact they don't want people hoarding PPE because our frontline care workers need it, then treat us like adults and tell us that. We can make our own masks. That's where we're at now. That's right. And and we should have been treated like adults and told the truth, which is masks work. And that was known when Teresa Tan, I choose the word carefully, uh, she deceived, she lied, and said that masks didn't work. Uh, the scientific evidence in no way said such a thing. But she came out with a untruthful story because she didn't want Canadians hoarding PPE, which nurses, doctors, paramedics, and so forth needed. I get that she had a noble intention, but you don't lie to your people Mm -hmm. ever. No, because you're going to get caught in that lie. Eventually you'll be caught in that lie and then you've got to walk it back. Then you have to try and justify it. Uh, or you have to come clean and there goes your credibility. And I think that's where we're at right now. A lot of people are wondering about her credibility, you know, you calling it right now. Um, let's talk, if I could, because I, I know that we have limited time here. Um, 
about one of the other components of where we failed on the end game or where we're failing that you pointed out, testing and contract tracing. There was just this infuriating story out of the GTA um, that the CBC broke. And it was basically that around 700 tests, a positive COVID tests were not reported to public health. So this is as far back in April because uh, the lab that was testing thought it was the job of the hospital that uh, asked, you know, that that got the samples and sent it to the lab to report to public health, which it was. And the hospital that took the tests thought it was the lab that should do it, which they shouldn't have. But basically what we've got here is a failure of public health to tell people exactly and the systems who's supposed to be doing what. Kelly, that's exactly right. You don't need to be a public health expert like me. You don't need my PhD in immunology to know this. When you've got records of a disease that is deadly and that can kill people and that is spreading in the community, you need to pass information about that disease to those who need it in a quick, efficient way where you don't lose hundreds of records. That's obvious. But the reason mistakes like this happen, Kelly, is because Canada is effectively backwards in public health. Let me tell you a little tidbit. It's the year 2020. And the main method of communication in public health departments across Canada is the fax machine in 2020. Case reports, like those many hundreds that went missing, generally are sent from office to office by fax, not by email, not by some secure web system, by fax. And that has been a problem for decades. It has not been fixed. What it means is that data is shuffled around on pieces of paper. It moves slowly. Paper goes missing. Then when the paper arrives in a place where the information is needed, Typists have to enter it into a computer. Montreal has hired two dozen typists since COVID began just to handle typing in faxes. This information flow is slow. It's incomplete. It's backwards. Who uses a fax machine in 2020? Yeah, and why are we? Is it a, is it a case of uh, they you know they were worried about uh, privacy? And I get that it's it's important to have all of our medical information kept as, as private as possible. But, or is it a case of they didn't want to invest in in just updating uh, machines or the fact that they just got used to it? And it's like, well, we've always done it like this. Why would we change this system? Well, I mean, obviously, you can have privacy on on electronic systems as well. I mean, my bank or my insurance company. Um, they use a web-based system where I have a password. That's great for keeping up privacy. You know, I don't think that the people who need privacy most, let's say the the spies at CSIS or the CIA, I don't think they're sending faxes around. (laughs) You know, they're, they're obviously using more advanced. They're using microfilm. We already know this. Carrier pigeons, please. Let's, sure. let's be accurate. But I know that no. you have to go in honestly a minute. And I want to try and respect your time, although I am interrupting your thought. I get that. But I think it's really important that we wrap this up. Um, what was the point, your whole point of writing that we bungled, you know, in, in McLean's, this article about how we bungle the endgame and where do you need it to go? Look, my point is this. I personally cannot stand by while my government makes mistakes that kill my neighbors. I couldn't live with myself if I did that. 
And, and I've come to the conclusion that it's not helpful to be saying, aren't we doing a great job in Canada and cheerlead us on when we're not doing a great job? The helpful thing is to point out how we're failing so that we can do better. And I do that not out of hatred. I do that out of love because I actually want to save this country from mistakes. I don't want us to have 7,000 deaths. I want us to have 100 like Australia. What it's going to take, though, are governments that are much more focused on solving problems than dancing around them. And I very much lay the blame at the feet of the prime minister, Mr. Trudeau, because he has emergency powers he could use, for instance, to get the data that we need off fax machines and into an electronic system, for instance, to enforce lockdowns in places where the, the premier, like Ontario, is failing to do it adequately. Unless our governments step up and treat this as the once-in-a-century emergency it is, we will just go on being made victims of government incompetence, and we will lose our lives. That's why I'm speaking out. Professor Adaran, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, I, I wish you a safe afternoon. You as well, Kelly. Take care.